0: From Michigan Radio, this is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark. $9 billion. That's the new estimate of the likely surplus that Michigan now has. It is a transformative amount of money. On Wednesday evening, Michigan Radio held our latest Issues and Ale event in Lansing. I was joined by my co-host Rick Pluta and four lawmakers to talk about this new surplus and the new agenda in Lansing. Democratic State Senator Mallory McMurray was there. Republican State Senator John De Republican State Representative Brian Postumus. And the first question went to Democratic State Representative
1: Christian Grant.
0: Nine billion. Like just mind-boggling amount of money that the state of Michigan has right now. Last year, she Friday, really walks
1: around the house just going, nine billion.
0: I do actually re-have these no, conversations doesn't. because this is a transformative amount of money. Representative, when you hear that kind of money. What's the first thing
2: that you would want to change or get to do? That's a hard question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's those fundamental things. So we talk a lot about the problems, but to me, those are really just outcomes of where we have made investments, right? We've made investments in certain ways and we see, um, or we have not, and we see the outcomes. So for me, it's like, where do we need key investments that will turn around those outcomes that have been a problem for us? So. Uh, I spent six years on the Grand Rapids Public School Board, right? So education, to me, no matter where you choose to send your child, the strength of our public school districts really reflects the strength of a community and a state. So... So when we talk about some of those supply chain issues, we talk about not having people to uh, man and staff certain industries. Uh, we talk about the quality of uh, workers that we have, right? A lot of that to me is investment that we have not made in the public education system. So that, that would be a good place to start. Senator McMurrow.
3: Yeah, it is, a, it is an exciting and a daunting number. $9 billion. I don't think people can wrap their head around like how many zeros that actually is and what that means. But I think what's really important for those of us on appropriations and as we move forward is to recognize that this is one-time funding, that we are never going to see this influx of money in our lifetimes likely. So what are the areas where we need to kind of fill up the gaps, catch up to now? What are projects that we've put off when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to schools, schools that don't have modern HVAC systems, schools that don't have the latest, you know, just basic building requirements? What are the things that we've put off for so long that with this moment in time, we can take $9 billion and catch up to where we need to go and not set ourselves up for, you know, with term limits where we're making decisions on ongoing programs that aren't gonna be there when we're gone, but then we're not left to figure it out.
4: I think that's the key is that, uh, we, and I'm, I'm glad we agree on this, right? Like we, we can't use $9 billion to to fund, we can't use one-time money to fund ongoing projects. And, and so the projects that we do invest in have to be transformative, Generational investments. Uh, you know, we, we we spent we we invested a lot of funding into the city of Grand Rapids last last year with with some of the some of the one time funding budgets. That is going to be transformative to that community, and, and that's what I'll be looking forward to working on with the nine billion dollars we have. Well, that,
1: that was general, and I'm not asking anyone to make actual commitments here, but give a a concrete example of what a transformative (laughs) one-time expenditure would be?
4: So there, there's two <laughs> two examples that I'll point to uh, from Grand Rapids. One, we put in, or we, we've, part of the budget was to go to an amphitheater downtown Grand Rapids, which is going to attract and develop the downtown community. Uh, we also are doing an entire riverfront restoration project on the river that, that flows through the city of Grand Rapids. I don't know if any of you have spent much time in, in St. Louis or I, I think Austin maybe. I, uh, there's a city down in Texas as well well, where there's a big like there's a big development on on the waterfront on the on the river that runs through that san antonio, san antonio. yes yes thank you very much thank you dan in in grand rapids we have this beautiful river that you know a hundred years ago or whatever they took out the rapids and built up all these seawalls on the side of it and that's it it's not used for anything and, and so we, we invested, I think it's 65, $65 million into developing that and creating Greenway and Parkway and restoring the Rapids into there. And, and that, is going to, uh, that, that is going to transform Kent County and the city of Grand Rapids for generations.
5: I mean, another, up in our area, there's a mental health facility. This would be transformative for people if we could build it. There's, in Petoskey, Michigan, nearby where I live, Habitat for Humanity is building a 43, uh, they're building a whole neighborhood of 43 homes, and we have a crisis in affordable housing. That'll be transformative for our area. The problem is, today alone, and this is not an exact, this actually happened. I had uh, four different meetings. Three of them used the exact same line. One guy said, well, this is a $50 million project. Well, that's a lot of money to ask for. Yeah, but compared to $9 billion, that's nothing. <laughs> Three people said that same thing, and the fourth one also asked for $6 million, he just didn't compare it to the $9 billion. But the point is, so that's one. Every one of us have gotten four people asking for that money today, and they'll get it tomorrow, and they'll get it the next day, and the next day, and most of these are pretty worthy causes. So that $9 billion goes fast if you don't really pay attention to these things, and you gotta pick and choose. So. Can
3: I just add one other example that I think we as a state are sorely behind in, and that this is an opportunity for us to. To address is public transit, especially in Metro Detroit, Southeast Michigan. It's one thing to expand bus routes. It's another thing to look at the fact that, especially Metro Detroit, I'm not talking about the rest of the state, but that we are really the only major metropolitan area in the country where if we want to have more conferences downtown, the only way to get there is to get a $60 Uber from the airport to get to downtown. There's no light rail. There isn't really, with the exception of one bus that goes back and forth, it's holding us back. So when we look at what is going to be transformational for a community, for the state, what's going to attract talent, which is the number one reason why companies are relocating to states, not because of incentives, but because of where the talent is, that's what I want to look at as an example of what can we do with upfront capital that is costly, but that we have money that we're never going to have in the rest of our lifetimes to do.
1: So writ large, though, you've, you've explained the complication here, which is there isn't a transformational expenditure. It's hundreds, if not thousands of yeah. transformational expenditures that all you guys and your colleagues have to go and sit in the House and Senate floor and really you know, in your caucuses and committee hearings and come up with an agenda of all of those things and try and make them work together in the awkward fashion that the legislature does that kind of work.
2: Let's go to this question here. So you mentioned divisiveness already, and we've lost a lot of confidence in our institutions. Obviously, everybody on the stage has a commitment to public service, but what can we do to get regular people to have confidence in our institutions again.
0: I love that question so much. I would also add, if it's okay, a little asterisk, which is, I think over five, six, seven years, it's not just the institution of government, but it's institutions like science, education, teachers, I'd say journalists even as well, public servants, medical community. Um, Representative Posthumus, let's start here. What can we do to bring back confidence in institutions?
4: I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean if i if i'm being honest like when you have every when you have uh, when you have every idiot on a soapbox with social media being able to spout off anything they want and actually be taken seriously then that that's not helpful uh and and so i don't know i, I truly do not and i wish i had a better answer than that
2: representative grant Yeah, that is a hard one. I mean, as a caucus and as a party, I think the way that we build trust is to listen to the people that we're representing and deliver on the things that that we've promised. Um, But when you look at politics and political things, it has very much become a form of entertainment. And so that takes away even some of the power from us when it's entertainment for people to see on social media or on the TV, just quick blurbs of things and you're not getting the full picture. Uh, during campaign, even uh, you know, I had a very tight primary. No one wanted to hear like the real answers of things. I would explain like what really happened. They'd be like, oh. Well, you know, but he said, like, because that, that was more fun to hear. And so I hope that that changes, but I don't know that it will. Senator McMurrow, can you fix it all?
3: Huh, <laughs> no. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, there is, I caught flack from, from people in my party once I was at an event, and I advised that people not watch any 24-hour news network, which I know is ironic because I'm on one of them all the time now. Um But it's true, because if it's 24 hours where it's constantly, this is breaking news, and this is set to make you mad, and I remember when I started in the Senate, I was just walking the halls in the Senate office building, and you can immediately tell which office is which party by what is playing in the lobby. (laughs) And it is. We've gotten to a place where a lot of people treat this work and politics as a game. And it's my team versus your team. And there's a really good book that I recommend everybody read called Politics is for Power, which really breaks this down, um, especially for Democrats. It's very critical of us, by the way. Um, To talk about what it is actually supposed to be about, which is organizing and bringing people together and how do you bring more people onto your side for each issue, which may change from issue to issue. But that's really tough because I know that it's, it's really easy to want to go to a rally and cheer and fight and but the more that we treat it like a game the more it encourages the fighting and the divisiveness and the way that our campaigns are structured where it's easy to raise money when you get in a fight and it's not when you're you know saying I compromise and I'm you know what was it the line you said that I thought was so great that's not a, not on a bumper
5: sticker well, over there.
3: <laughs> incremental change. Over, yeah, I'm going to work over. I'm going <laughs> to work really hard to make incremental change over a period of years. When I won't be in office. When, when I won't be in office have... anymore. That's hard, but that's the real work. Is... Um, and I don't know how we break out of that. I mean, it's probably a combination of campaign finance reform and breaking out of the algorithms that feed us all different news feeds. But just fundamentally, I think that's that the work that I know I try to do, and I'm pretty confident the people on the stage do, is just go out into the communities. I mean, we host precinct potlucks in my district where we just find a person who will volunteer their driveway or their backyard and we canvas the neighborhood and we say next Thursday your state senator is coming and we all have like chips and guac and we just get to know each other and it gets us off of TV and our screens and we just
5: talk to each other
3: and it's nice.
4: As long as policy debate happens over 15 second TikTok videos we're going to have a hard time.
5: Yeah. And I gotta just add to that that it's not just. You have fifteen seconds. I do really. Oh,
4: (laughs)
3: and you have to dance.
5: Good. That's good. There's a reason you do this. um, No, there is a bit of a false narrative out there, and and it's not just on the politicians. It's our culture too. I mean, honestly, I've seen way more anger out in the culture than there ever should have been. It's not just here, but I, I. So. There's a false narrative that we're all lining our pockets. I mean, I'd love to see where this money comes from. This is an expensive job to do. Um, That we're just in it for ourselves, or we're here to fight. I interviewed, we had a film production company, and I got to work with people on both sides of the aisle. We did a lot of things celebrating bipartisanship in Washington. And I remember one of the most profound interviews I had was Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia. And he said something so simple, but it was so true. And he knew I was a Republican, and we were talking. He said, John. One thing you got to remember is that most people come here who come here just really want to do a good job. Uh, he's right I mean what the p- caliber of people I've met in my brief time here on both sides of the aisle there are some wonderful people out there who are pouring their heart and soul who had a vision that they think they can do something I mean we're st- a lot of us are still true believers like we can make this world a better place it's not that that corny that said every now and then something happens that betrays that entire s- reality like what happened with our former speaker that's why I'm so mad about that and he was my predecessor because he confirmed all the the narrative. You know, though and I don't mean to condemn legally all this. I shouldn't get as into it as I do. But the bottom line is that those type of things are so damaging because there are good people up here trying to do do a good job. And we need it can't be just something we fix in Lansing or in Washington. These meetings we go to is um you got to understand the the this all out assaults we're under. I get it from my own party all the time, and from the other part, and you're just, you almost become guarded and, and removed. And now all of a sudden we're not doing the job we we're elected to do, mainly because this is not a normal way of interacting, and it didn't used to be like this. So I think we gotta fix our inner, the things people say over social media, I can't believe these things are said. It's just not right. And so this is something that's throughout our entire culture. We need to model it for sure. And when we break down, we confirm everything they think, but we need to see some changes on the cultural level too.
0: Well, we've got a. I'm looking at the time and I know we've got to wrap up shortly. So I'm going to just ask a final question. And again, we'll we'll start here and kind of work our way around. Representative Posthumus, what will success look like for you in six months?
4: If we can de- deliver economic relief through through putting money back in your pox- pockets through tax cuts, that happens immediately, that'll be a success for me in the, in the next six months.
2: Representative Grant? For me, it will be something that ties in with what the senator said earlier. There have been a lot of investments over the past few years in my city, in cities across the state, but those investments, the amphitheater is in my district on the edge. It does not reach the people who are in the heart of the district. And so we make these investments and we make changes, but it sometimes does not reach the people who need it the most. And so if we're making decisions that help to change the lives of the people who need it the most, that will be successful to me. So I've had an interesting first four
3: years and uh, I gave an interview a few months ago where the interviewer said, you know, it sounds like you got elected. You ostensibly have all this power, but it turns out the only power you have is giving speeches. <laughs> that nobody. I thought about speech. that every day <laughs> afterwards. So for me, you know, I take this job very seriously. And now that I'm chairing a committee and, and I'm serving on appropriations, six months of success for me is having really thoughtful debates in our committees, getting to know all of our colleagues and what they care about, and starting to show that outside of just being a spokesperson i can be a legislator too that's
5: great no that's great Uh, it's uh that's a complicated question i'm looking back towards my first two years and it's really hard. There's no benchmarks. I mean, it's really hard to say, did I do a good job or not? And I, The things I count as wins are not even bills that my name are on. I got involved, uh, a rep who was just passionate, um, uh, this per- same progressive rep who I talked to was passionate about this uh, tax on feminine hygiene products. And she came, it was stalled. And so she came, we were talking, she laid out the case. I said, well, that seems like a good idea. I'm gonna help you fight for this. And so I went to my, a number of people and they're like, oh, that's crazy, why would you do that? It's a big liberal cause. Who, why we're never going to do it? I'm, but why is this a big liberal cause? I mean, who really wants to tax? I should this point stuff? out that this whole issue is called the tampon. The tax, tampon tax, yeah. and this has been really, really intractable yeah. over. It, it, the it, years. But it's crazy. Who wants the, this tax? This is just a sign of respect, and it's just ridiculous so I went and I spent six months lobbying but the bottom line is they finally passed it and I remember standing up with this I asked to speak because if you're involved in a speed in a bill you can speak on the floor and so I asked to speak and I did it for one reason and I'm not tooting my own heart. I'm saying if the more of these I'm proud of this moment the only reason I did it is so she could stand next to me because she wasn't on that bill and she needed to get some credit because this is something she cared about like if we can do some of these things we're not going to save the world in six months but if the more of those little moments you can string together where like at the end of the year last year I, I really thought that year I said okay that's something that I was involved with that mattered and I think we could string these things together we'll be doing a good job that was
0: Republican State Senator John Demoos Also joining this week's Issues and Ale, along with my It's Just Politics co-host, Rick Pluta, was Democratic State Senator Mallory McMurrow, Republican State Representative Brian Posthumus, and Democratic State Representative Christian Grant. You can take a listen to the whole conversation, including where the lawmakers stand on right to work and how they plan to work together on other contentious issues. Just head to michiganradio.org to find the It's Just Politics page. With that, I am Zoe Clark. Thank you for listening. Let's talk again
5: next Friday.